Hello, my name is Christopher Monroe, and welcome to the soundtrack to a life. Soundtrack to a Life. I am Chris, and I am hosting a show called The Soundtrack to a Life. That show is this. Its intro is bad. With me once again is Mike. Hi, Mike. Hello, Mike. <laughs> and Mike and I are here today talking about Tool's 2019 album, Fear Inoculum. Mike, tell me about this piece of music. What's your relationship with it? Well, I can still remember the time when I first heard Tool. I was working in a used bookstore. I was working the late shift. It was late at night one night, and one of my co-workers brought this disc in, and he brought Lateralis, and I heard Schism for the first time. And I remember just falling in love instantaneously with it. Now, I, of course, explored their back catalog up to that point, uh, and then when 10,000 Days came out, I listened to that, and I never really regained that feeling. And then on August 7th of, of 2019, I, was I happened to be working the end of my shift, and that was when they released the single, Fear Inoculum. And I heard them play it on X92.9, and I remember going, oh my god, Tool is back. And then I kept listening, and listening, and listening, and then realized it's a ten and a half minute long radio single with no opportunity for an edit anywhere within it. It's almost the biggest fuck you to radio listeners possible. No one puts out a ten and a half minute long single. What the hell are you thinking? There's always a radio editor or something like that, but this is a very specifically designed track. There's no place within it that you can cut it out. And... That can be said of the entire album. You can't listen to a single song in it. You sure as shit cannot listen to this on a shuffle. This is a start-to-finish album. It is clearly telling a story. It's almost more of a symphony than it is a metal album. It's got instrumental interludes and the whole thing. Is it a story through the music? Is it a story through the lyrics? That's going to depend on the listener. But the fact that it is an all-encompassing 86-minute long story of some form that takes you to the ends of the universe and back again, that is something that I absolutely appreciate and will always celebrate. You will. Because... You invited me to talk about this before it came out. I did, yes. That was how confident you were in New Tool Record as a general concept. After having only heard the single. Yeah, and this is a marquee record. Like This is their first in 13 years, which is great. That gets people really pumped up. 
and at the same time is just a huge red flag. Long-awaited albums are bad more often than they're good. Like, Chinese Democracy, uh, people waited 15 years for. Portishead Third. Yeah. Second Coming by the Stone Roses, which I frankly liked, but I'm aware that I'm in the minority there. Dr. Dre still hasn't done Detox, but... When it comes up, I'm imagining expectations will be pretty impossible to live up to. At a certain point, there is not a way to live up to the expectations of your fandom if you keep them waiting long enough. There's nothing you can do in real life that could be the record that they're imagining. And I only have like a really baseline understanding of Tool as a general concept before I listen to this. I'd heard their first two records, Undertone Anemia, a couple of times, and then after that I dropped off the band hard, and I had barely thought of them at all in the 20, I want to say, four years since Undertow the... was, yeah, 93 or 94, somewhere in there. Yeah. So if you're wondering, um, for the record, I would not have ever listened to this had you not told me to, and I know that that was your intent, so congratulations, it was successful. Excellent. This is a weird fucking record. It is all over the place. Yeah, like the uh, the opening track, the title track, mm-hmm. comes in heavy and black and ponderous because they know that their audience has been waiting for this record a long enough time that they need to infuse the first track with a sense of heft and importance to pay off the expectations of that audience. And I appreciate how they managed to do that without coming off as self-important. Like, it's an appropriate level of importance. Mm -hmm. It's a band that knows their worth kind of a deal. And I do get why everyone freaked out when this came out. Like, this is... This is music with a real sense of power behind it. It is a band that knows how important they are to people's lives and who take that seriously as a responsibility, rather than something that is owed to them, uh, which I also have a lot of respect for. Uh, This was a fun listen. It was a long listen. As I said, yeah, 86 minutes if you're listening to the uh, Spotify version of it. Yeah. The actual physical version is shorter. I think it's missing one or possibly two tracks from it. It's missing the instrumentals. Okay. Which is weird, because it doesn't have to be. Like, I I really love... 86 minutes fits on a CD. And 79 minutes does not fit on a single disc of vinyl. So I don't know what physical media format they were playing to. I think the instrumentals are crucial to it because the main tracks go for so long and they ask so much of the listener. You need that downtime. You need that sort of transition from it's their interludes more than anything. Yeah, uh, between movements in a piece, and you know, I know, I know, particularly on Lateralis was where they first really started experimenting with longer form stuff, where you'd have songs that would go one into the next into the next, but it was only ever triplets of it. They only ever did three tracks of it. Whereas on this album, without the instrumentals, I'm I'm not sure how it would sound, but you would have just a straight-through narrative, essentially. And that gets real tiring for a listener. 
Yeah, and it's not like people won't listen to it for 90 minutes. They're Tool fans. Well, exactly. They're literally Tool fans. Tool fans are hardcore enough about this band that they make the band a daunting concept Mm -hmm. to get into. Like, there was a joke in the late 90s, I want to get into Tool, but I don't want to have to deal with Tool fans. And that is... It's... I'd say that's still probably true. Um... Now, I'm not, I'm not that kind of Tool fan. Like I said, 10,000 Days I Could Take or Leave, it was a decent album in my opinion, but it just didn't hit me as deeply as, say, Lateralis uh, or Anima. But there's just such incredibly deep musicianship here. You know, there's polyrhythms, there's weird time signatures and key signatures, and all of this sort of stuff interwoven with lyrics that are deep and meaningful but completely opaque and i can appreciate just there's a genius to this and you can tell everyone in the band but particularly maynard the singer this this is his baby in a lot of ways and wow just an incredible child yeah this is clearly something that he has sat down and put a lot of thought and work and effort into making every piece fit together into exactly the vision of this record that existed in his head. Well, and I mean, there's a reason why it takes 13 years to get here. You yeah. Know, this is, it's clear that there probably wasn't much time in those 13 years where this wasn't on his mind. Like, outside of his own thing that he was doing with Pussifer and all of that, which... When it comes down to it, it's an entirely different genre. It, you know, the, the guy is obviously one of the musical geniuses of our time in terms of just being able to jump from one thing to the next to the next. But this was obviously in the back of his mind, yep. nonstop. Yeah, and he knew his audience would be there for him mm-hmm. when he was done. Because Tool is one of the few hard rock acts whose fans do the same kind of stan culture that you get normally from a much younger audience That's pop groups. That's the thing is, yeah, I mean, Tool fan base at this point, I mean, unless you're coming into it new and all of that, you know, they're all going to be between 35 and 50 is my bet. Yeah, you know, that's the, the people, median age for the, a Tool fan. The people who got into it when they first hit the scene sort of thing, or even in their first 10 years on the scene. And this is now, this is now 25 years later, and it's like, we're all quite aged, but there's an appreciation to the music that goes with it. And this would be no different than if, you know, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, Led Zeppelin came back. Yeah. Every boomer on the planet would be behind that. I would bet money that there are young Tool fans, though. Is the Oh, thing. absolutely. I know there are. Like, I suspect that if they got up on stage, played this album in its entirety, and then fucked off, no you, one would mind that. You or, would have so many new converts. Yeah. Whereas if the Rolling Stones took the stage, played their most recent album and nothing else, there would be a goddamn riot. And do you know what? Those boomers would be right to be angry. That is not the show they paid for. With the Stones, I'd agree with that. 
With Led Zeppelin, I'd be more willing to bet that if they were to play just a new album, like whatever their new album is, just the fact that they did, like, I mean, those guys have been apart for 40 years now or whatever, and have made it pretty fucking clear they're never getting back together. And yet, if they were to, people would accept it just for the single album. They don't need to hear Stairway. They've got a million fucking recordings. I feel like they would want to hear Stairway more than you think. I I feel like Zeppelin would have to play the hits. I feel like a lot of bands get to a certain point where people love them out of their history with them, which makes it more impressive that Tool is still out there after this many years, making new fans and putting out music that is still this interesting and complex. This is almost fandom as religion yeah i would i would agree with that tool doesn't feel to me like a band that is for casual fans no you you either have to make this a central part of your core concept of self or you may not have time for tool fandom yeah (laughs) when the album got released at the end of august i happened to have that weekend to myself and I listened to it for three days straight yeah, and just dove so deep into it. And it was only after three solid days that I was starting to comprehend what I was hearing. And someone who's going to go onto Apple and just buy a single track or shit like that, like Tool has no interest in those. No. And that's, I, I think that's part of the reason why they stayed away from streaming for as long as they did, because it was only about a month before this was released that they showed up on any single streaming platform. They had been the one sort of big holdout uh, in the musical landscape who were like, no, we're not doing the streaming thing. And then something changed because all of a sudden they were on every streaming service available. Well, I mean, they were ramping up to an album cycle. It's got to be a label decision. But the interesting thing, it's not like Maynard was completely against it for like Perfect Circle or for Pussfer. They were both available on streaming services. It was just Tool. So it might have been like an overall band decision, but it smacks more of a record company. And they're not decision. And they're not necessarily wrong. This is music that you need to sit down with and good headphones, and listen to all in the order in which the band intended it. This would not sound good on a Spotify playlist Just between two other songs yeah. by other artists. This could have been released as a single 86-minute long track. And Tool fans would have been perfectly fine. Absolutely. Why not? Prince did that with um, Love Sexy in the 80s yeah. when it came out on CD. One track, no skipping forward or back. You listen to the songs in the order that you wanted. I can. Completely, it didn't hurt his reputation. I can completely was, agree with that because, as the artist, you are particularly in the case of an album like this or with Prince, you put everything you've got into it. And like I said, there's a throughput to it. There's an entire narrative that goes from the very start to the very end, and to just pick that up somewhere in the middle. Or, you know, skip around from track to track. That would be, well, I mean, as strange of a, an analogy as this would be, it's that's like watching Star Wars in the release <laughs> order. Episode 4, 5, 6, 1, 2, 3, 7, 8, 9. Like, it doesn't make any sense when you do that, honestly. And it would be the same with this album. You couldn't take a 15-minute long track that is, like, the final big track on the album 
and, and an play it in the middle. You know, it, there's a reason why it's at the end. Yeah, agreed completely. And speaking of rabid fandoms, Taylor Swift fans hate this music, and that is beautiful. I'm fine with that. She made her power play with the streaming services to get better remuneration for the tracks and all of that. She played it up as it's this big artist liberation thing and all of that, but the simple fact was she had already been on all these streaming services and had grown her fandom from that, whereas you've got Tool, who never benefited from this, and... Yep. Although, the reason her fans really hate this record is because her record ran up to number two, bounced off of this record, and then fell back down the charts. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking right. <laughs> your I... incredibly organized Twitter army streaming your music do not hold up, apparently, against middle-aged Tool fans who are still buying physical media. Well... Because that's the way they've always done it, and they're not gonna learn now. And... Admittedly, I don't know word one about Taylor Swift's music, but she's fine. I'm sure. I'm sure she's fine. But that overly massaged label sound can't compare to this. Yeah, this is a lot more auteur-y. It's an auteur versus the studio system. And when this kind of auteur record fails, it fails more spectacularly than has ever been seen in the world because there's nobody else with eyes on it going, this is a bad idea. But when it succeeds, which I think this one is a very good example of, it hits higher heights. I would say so, yeah. Than you could ever focus group yourself to. I just find extremely online fan culture very bad, but in like a fun way. You see... I'll, I'll pay no attention to it, but then Boris Johnson will get re-elected Prime Minister of the United Kingdom. And a Facebook group will start canvassing people to endlessly stream Jarvis Cocker's Cunts Are Still Running the World in order to try to get it to number one. And that's just fun. George W. Bush visiting London and the week of his arrival, Killing in the Name by Rage Against the Machine is the number one pop hit in the country. That's just fun. You kind of love to see it. The you people see? who are willing to do it full time are high schoolers with time to devote to that sort of thing. So it doesn't usually do anything that I'm interested in. But every so often, somebody will come up with something that makes me really see the point of that whole thing. You see, but the flip side of that is that quasi-fun fandom thing is precisely how we have Donald Trump. Because everyone in the 2000s was like, oh, look, this is kind of fun. He's got a TV show and he's kind of a dickbag. Okay, this is kind of fun. This is kind of fun. Oh, he's starting to amass a little bit more power. This is kind of fun. This is kind of fun. Oh, he's running for president. That's oh, hilarious. This is, this is so funny. It's just an extension of his reality TV show. Oh, fuck. <laughs> it's those fun fandom communities that I place the blame squarely at their feet. I don't think we can oh. reasonably blame Taylor Swift fans. For Donald Trump, no, I'm not I'm not saying that, but I'd say it's not a stretch to say that a lot of his support down in the South and in Republican circles comes from TV addicts, from reality TV addicts, who actually genuinely think this is still just a reality TV show. And that the stakes should only be as bad as a reality TV show. Oh, someone got fired. Yeah, well, 
you know, when, when the next firing from the president comes as the firing of a fucking missile, that's where this becomes a problem. Yeah. You have opinions. Go ahead. I do. Bring I it just, up. I don't think that a relatively innocuous over-focus on popular music can be equated with something like that. Eh, okay. Well... <laughs> There were a lot of factors leading to that being toxic. Absolutely. His shitty TV show was one of them, but by no means the worst one. Yeah, there's there's all manner of things there. Anyways, um... Weird question. These guys have true drummers? I don't believe so. Alright. I don't believe so. It's just... There's a lot of really complex drum lines through this music. Um, it's doing a lot more with the rhythm section than you would expect a hard rock band in this, the year of our Lord 2020, well, to be doing. Well, I mean, you could take, and take I did... a listen to stuff being put out by Rush back in the day. Sure. Uh, single drummer, who regrettably is now gone from us, but had the classic, like, full swivel chair, like, 360-degree kit sort of thing. And I think that's a situation that we got here, where it's, like, crazy drumming, multiple, like motorized foot pedals to be accomplishing things all at once. Yeah, there's a lot to keep track of. It is a very precisely written... All of their rhythm tracks, all the way back through Anima, are immaculately written. They all involve the weirdest time signatures, the weirdest polyrhythms that shouldn't, shouldn't mathematically work together, but do... I think there was one of their tracks from one of their earlier albums. The entire thing was based on the idea of the golden mean, the perfect ratio sort of thing. And they use a lot of that sort of quasi-esoteric, mathematical, almost Talmudic type stuff in their music. And so I think it may just, I think it is just one drummer huh. uh, or I suppose it's possible that there are two, but I've only ever seen them perform with one. So fair. I'd just been curious because the last time I had um, seen a band with complicated pseudo tribal uh, rhythmic things happening, it was Adam Ant, and he does use two drummers when he does. Uh, Maynard has other bands, you said? I don't think they're still active anymore, but Perfect Circle was one of his projects, uh, as well as Pussifer, which is wholly different from this. Perfect Circle is still sort of tool-ish, yep. but uh, Pussifer is something entirely other and equally wicked. I mean, he did a show here, might have been eight years ago, where he actually had like classical Mexican wrestlers start the show for him. And this is at the Jack Singer. That is a fun choice for an opening act. Yeah, right. <laughs> and and it, like it, there's like almost a circus quality to those shows is what I've heard and all of that. So That's... he's multi talented, and his voice is just wicked. Like he gets on some of those melodic lines, and it's just like holy shit! This dude not only can write lyrics, fuck, he can sing. Yeah, he's a he's a much more clean voice than you'd expect than you'd from, expect from metal. metal band of this era, but also of the nineties, like. Mm -hmm. He did. I did not expect him to have that one new metal screech thing that bands like System of a Down or Linkin Park do. But I did expect him to do that kind of rumbly early nineties growl. growl thing. Yeah. But no, he. I don't he, think. He I don't think I've ever wants, heard that any in any of their songs. No, he clearly wants you to listen to what he's singing, and he is singing it as powerfully and straight down the middle as he can do in order to get the message across. 
And it does make sense that he has other bands because listening through this, I thought, wait a second. This didn't take 13 years. This is extremely good and clearly took a ton of effort. I just meant in the capacity that no record takes 13 years. You're not wrong. This is something that you take a break from your band, recharge your batteries with a different project, come back to refreshed, and then spend like three years painstakingly crafting every possible detail of an hour and a half long Uber so, movement. So Pussifer uh, released something in 2007, so right after 10,000 Days. A bunch of like B, C, and D sides sort of thing. Uh, and then another album in 2011. Yeah, they take breaks and work on things and then come back and tool for a little bit longer. Yeah, it looks like basically every four years something from Pussifer. So in the 13 years, yeah, that stands to reason that you've got about three, maybe four Pussifer albums sort of thing. So he has been busy doing other things. He's the sort of driving force behind Pussifer. It's all sort of, everyone else sort of comes in and out of that band except for him. Tool, it's like set. They're all there and it's not his, it's everyone's. I mean, you can hear that in just the complexity involved in some of this. Yeah, no, these guys have clearly been playing together for decades. Uh, and this does get played on the radio, you said? I only heard it the once, the day that it was released. And they played it They played it at like 6.30 in the morning. Because that was when the official release time was. And yeah, it like a ten and a half minute long track. Tempest, the final long song, uh, it's like 15 minutes or something long, actually did win a music award this year, too. So That shocks me zero much. Uh, won the uh, Grammy Award for Best Metal Performance. That very much checks out. It yeah. was a very good metal performance. And that is such a great power move for an established band. Just like, here you go. It is an 86-minute, 10-track album. All but one of the tracks are over 10 minutes. The single absolutely is, and you will be playing it anyway, because we are legends within this genre, and you can't get away with not playing it. Because everyone will be requesting it. It's 10 tracks. The album you had me listen to, Reostatics, 18 tracks, and I think that one clocks in at about 55 minutes? Somewhere in there, and it's 18 tracks, and it's like, holy crap. It's like an order of magnitude difference. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's the difference between uh, this kind of band. Well, I mean, as we said in the last episode, you've got to dive deep in. Yeah, you've got to really make yourself a part so of it. So I think you made a comment uh, that there was actually some similarity in the two bands. And I agree in terms of the deep dive that's needed. Because you can't just casually duck in and out of this album. No, this expects work from you. And with the Rio Stats, you couldn't duck in and out on that one. It requires work of a different variety, but work all the same. Yeah. It struck me midway through listening to this uh, that we've got a neo-tribal complexity to their polyrhythms. We've got synth lines and clean, disciplined vocals paired with lyrics that tell a story. Invincible is using a distorted robot voice. They're 10-minute-plus songs on the reg. Is this, in fact... A classic 70s-style prog band disguised as an alternative act from the 90s having a number one hit in 2020, because that is weird and beautiful. Um, I've heard them described as prog metal. 
I couldn't for the life of me identify another prog metal band that I've heard of. Uh, now, I'm not the biggest listener of metal. Uh, in fact, Tool is pretty close to the only metal that I do really listen to. If you took 70s prog rock and just sort of moved it forward 30 years, yeah, I could see I could see it being a case being made for these guys just being prog rock that happens to be heavier than the stuff you would have heard in the 70s, just because that's what it was. Yeah, I never got into prog either as a 70s classic rock style or as a metal style as it was happening. As the metal style was happening, obviously, when the 70s classic rock was happening, I was not alive. Exactly. Other than Pink Floyd, obviously, because those guys are just universal. But there's a really strong sense that I got from moments that are Tool, Pink Floyd, but for Gen X. Because it's definitely going to be either Tool or Radiohead who I do that would... job. Like, they are selling out huge stadiums, having number one records in spite of sounding nothing like any of the bands who are ostensibly their peers, outlasting the era of music from which they came, and holding on to a rabid and huge cult following rather than chasing new young fans with each release. The case could be made. I don't think you have to select between Radiohead or Tool. I think both of them can be yeah, they both the have shades Floyds of, that. of our era. I mean, I know, at least with Tool, there is a lot of the political that you also find in Pink Floyd, the political and social commentary stuff. Radiohead, it's at least of late, has been more the social commentary than the than yep. political. They did have a little bit of time where they were doing the political stuff. But... Yeah, the political and social commentary, the experimentalism with how they make music and the yep. process by which it comes about. Certainly the infrequence of shows. That's certainly also the case. On a related note, y'all coming to see Tool? I might. Ladies and gentlemen at home, Tool announced that they will be playing in Edmonton in June fucking today. Today, yeah. I saw it on my, on my Facebook feed today, and now I'm doing a spring class, which may preclude me from being able to do that. Oh, no! If they've got a date on a weekend or weekend adjacent somewhere nearby that I could fly to, I might do that. I know that they are doing the Vancouver, Spokane, Portland, Eugene axis. Okay. On the 9th, 11th, and 12th of March, but that is not viable for me. March or May? I think it was March. I wrote down March. It might have been Because they're playing here in June, so yeah. it seems... But this date was added independently of those. Oh, okay. Those dates had been announced weeks ago, whereas uh, the Edmonton show was announced today on their way out. I think I would, I would love to see this played live, Fuck. to be honest. Um, no kidding. I'm imagining it's going to be incredibly intense and a deeply, like, shared communal experience. Mm -hmm. I am already a sucker for happy crowd noise. You can put me into any show, and I will kind of get off on the idea of 10,000 people who all love the same thing being exposed to that thing. Mm -hmm. That is such a fun and sincere energy. I remember that feel the last time I really got that feeling was uh Depeche Mode playing the Angel Tour. Oh, I got it from yeah, I got it from Depeche Mode's last tour when we went up and saw it in Edmonton. And I'm imagining given the level of devotion that Tool fans have yeah. for their band of choice, that the crowds just can be psychotic. 
Well, and I know Eric would definitely have to say that the same is true of Radiohead from the time that he saw them uh, over in uh, Reykjavik. There's a communality to it, and it builds the energy just so, so well on top of the music playing. It's like, it just, it becomes a transcendent event almost sort of thing. Yeah, we are all in this together as far as this particular fandom goes, and that is glorious. I'll have to see what I can arrange. Yeah. I, I really, really would love to because I missed them when they were last playing both in uh, Spokane a few years ago and then in Edmonton a couple of years before that. Well, don't worry about it if you have to miss it. It's not like they're going to wait 13 years before putting out their next record. Yeah, yeah huh? right. <laughs> oh, fuck. Yeah. We have no plans to see it yet because of how recently it was announced, but... Chelsea and I have very much went, yeah, I kind of want to see that. Yeah, come me too. Yeah. yeah, we should try to sit down and figure some shit out. Now, so long as the tickets are less expensive than, say, the Rage Against the Machine tickets. Oh my god, Rage Against the Machine tickets are ridiculous. Yeah. I heard some sort of explanation for it, but it didn't quite make sense to me. Something, something, scalpers, something, a lot of that money's going to charities local to the town. Yeah, as scalping prevention so that people, you know, scalping companies aren't buying up all the tickets immediately. And then selling them at like five times the price sort yep. of thing. So. I definitely like Rage Against the Machine enough that I would have gone if it were like a $60 ticket. But, but I don't... 90 for like... Oh, not general. even. It's like 250 Oh, Jesus. For a lot of the seats. But I don't like them enough that I am like actively sad no, that I don't get to go. Uh, they, that they, would have been a good show. They were, uh, they were a time and a place, it's but it's not like they're doing any new music right now. So... Yeah. The other, which is weird, because today's climate is a great time Crime, for Rage oh Against the Machine. <laughs> yeah, right? Like, man, I'm sure there's so much they could say. Yeah. Another weird thing about this band, and this record in particular, obviously, it's been 24 years since I listened to a Tool record, and at the time that I did it, it was a Tool record from 24 years ago. This feels like difficult music to form a mosh pit to. I would say basically impossible, Yeah. Yeah. Which, from a 90s band, is a weird move. Um, like, I know certainly on God. Undertow and somewhat on Enema, there are some moshy tracks to it. But once you get to Lateralis, that entire energy seems to just sort of dissipate. That was 2001, I want to say? That they Somewhere were, around then. Lateralis was I, released. I had already absolutely drifted away from Tool by that point. I will point out, a lot of the harder rock records that I'm asked to listen to for this. I said this to Chelsea, talking about um, Slipknot last month, that I listened to the record with noise-canceling headphones on alone in my living room and my analytical brain activated, taking notes on the music, and that that is the wrong way to listen to a metal album. <laughs> yeah. With this metal album in particular, I think think that was the perfect way to listen to this for oh, the first time. Oh, this, this over, this over good headphones. Oh yeah. my god. There's so many layers of it that just don't come through the air. Yeah, like the introduction. Yeah, it's just, like, there's so, right, so many layers to it. Yeah, writing what is basically a book report on this record felt like giving it the kind of attention that it demands. Yeah, And absolutely. also deserves. Yeah. This is not a throw it on in the background while you do something else. This oh is not God. a thing that will go onto anybody's workout mix. This is not. 
What are the other things casual fans do? This is not playing at a dinner party. This is not putting it on in the background and dance around your kitchen while your garlic toast cooks. This is music as an activity. This is what, this what are you is doing? music as an end. This is what are you doing this evening? Oh, I'm going to go home and listen to the most recent Tool album. Oh, what else are you going to do? No, only that. That's it. That yep. will be my day. That's uh, it. Uh, other music is means to an end. It's like, okay, I can listen to this and cook at the same time, and the two combined is better. This album is not that. Yeah, they are very much the thinking man's uh, metal band. I tried to listen to it driving once. It was not a good thing. No. I either became too distracted by driving, or I became too distracted by the music to drive. And that's not good on either count. Yeah, they put out incredibly intricate, detail-oriented music that requires an intense, and survives an intense, level of scrutiny and have cultivated the kind of fans that are prone to intensely scrutinizing their music. Now, interestingly, I know opinion is divided on this. I haven't really looked into it. Have you, have you seen any of that? I have not, although I have seen things about how opinion is divided on this. Okay. Is it just a case of they're different now? Or is it what I mentioned earlier, where after 13 years, nothing that they could release I think, will I, live I, up to what people are hoping? I think it's probably more of uh, the second case. I mean, that's little different than saying, oh, well, Star Wars The Force Awakens wasn't what we hoped it would be. And it's like, okay, well, yeah, but it had also been well over 13 years. It's in the hands of a totally different group of people this time. And you can't possibly live up to expectation. You know, after 40 years of not having seen Luke, Leia, and Han on screen, it probably would have benefited them in that regard to have ceased to exist. Because... Ride took, I want to say, 13 years between records, but they broke up and were no longer a band after one and announced that they were back together six months before the next one. See, that's, so that's a different people, thing. Yeah, but people were thrown into it with all of the warmth and fondness they had for the band Ride, mm -hmm. but not with 13 years of expectations. Yeah, like for 13 years, there was zero expectation. In fact, it was negative expectation that they would ever hear from this again. Yeah, and then when they came back and they put out two of the best records of their career, yeah, uh, everyone was thrilled by that, and there was not one guy off in the corner going, yeah, but it wasn't what I was imagining that it would be over the course of the 13 years I spent thinking of literally nothing but this. Because nobody can make the record that's in your brain. No, if you want, exactly. If you have... A better tool record than this in your brain. Then by all you should form a band. That is the other thing with this album is it has for so long been hinted at and rumored. The first listing of a rumor about this was 2009, 2010. That alone was nine to ten years filled up time. Yeah. And little pieces would trickle in here and there, you know, Maynard would say this, or some studio exec would say this. It would recultivate that excitement. And then it would just sort of fade. To go through that long, yeah, it's going to piss a few people off. And I'm sorry if they lost some people on it from that, but 
Well, and admittedly, this is a vastly different album from 10,000 Days, the one that preceded it. It's not to say that 10,000 Days wasn't a good album. It wasn't my particular tool, but it was still a very intelligent, very well done album. This is a different beast entirely. Yeah, this is the work of people who have matured as artists for a decade and are approaching it renewed and refreshed from having worked on other things. Yeah. Which was their intent when well, they exactly. put that long between records. Um, and it weirdly succeeded. And I hope that I'm alive when they do it again. But I'm also aware that I might not be. God's willing, it isn't going to be 13 years again. But if it is, and it is as good as this one is, I'm in. Yeah. They can do this now forever because their fandom has proven that they will wait for it. Oh, and absolutely. they have proven that when the time comes, they will deliver. Admittedly, another 13 years from now, Maynard is 55. He'd be like 68, 69 years old. That's getting... Well, I mean, it's not to say that, you know, Roger Waters and people like that aren't still making music, but that's getting to be a bit more of an ask. Yeah, that's very true. Well, hopefully he'll keep that in mind and put out music more frequently. But what if I mean, not, that is his right. Also, Tool have paid their dues, and they can take whatever schedule they want. And also, credit where credit is due. If you are creating an album this good at 55 years old, and that's appealing to broad swaths of generations, Jesus fucking Christ. Like Other people are playing symphonic metal. You have written a metal symphony. Yeah. <laughs> Which I guess... Yeah, there's that's a, a totally different... Thing yeah, yeah, that's a that's... good line to go out on, I guess, because we're getting pretty close to the end. Absolutely. Uh, I'm going to end the episode as I tend to. I'm going to answer three questions. Yeah, I'm going to listen to this again. This is fucking really good. There's a lot to unpack in it, and I am suspecting that it is the sort of thing that is going to reveal itself to me more and more the more frequently I listen to it, mm -hmm. which is a great thing for music to do, just in a general sense. I will probably explore the rest of their catalog and see what I have been missing You're this whole time. You're really only missing two albums. Uh, so. Well, I'm going to find out. Yeah. I'm not asking you to recommend a second Tool album. Okay. Because having uh, looked back on it, they have released five albums in 27 years. I think I can spare the time to catch them all. <laughs> this is true. It's not. They're not asking a ton yeah. out of a new fan coming to them. So. There's not an enormous catalog that I have to bring myself up to speed on. It's I'll not just, Prince. I'll just power through all five of them. I'm also looking forward to the next one, unless I am dead by then, which I might be at the rate at which they release music. <laughs> and finally, we are going to close on Seven Empest, because if you spell your title with a number, I'm going to pronounce it. This has been the Soundtrack to a Life. Follow us along on Facebook and Twitter at SoundtrackCast, SoundtrackCast.com. Like us, share us, rate us, give us five-star reviews and only glowing praise. Mike, you got nothing to plug. I got nothing to plug. That is always the case. Chelsea's taken to plugging charities when she has nothing to do. Ah. Because I'm dating somebody with no online presence or weird projects that she wants to flog. It's weird. Anyway, we're going to be back in a couple of weeks with somebody else talking about a different thing from Tool because all things are different from Tool. Tool are a completely unique thing. And that is why they're good. Talk to you then.